Welcome to the World of Intelligence, a podcast for you to discover the latest analysis of global military and security trends within the open source defense intelligence community. Now on to the episode with your host, Harry Kemsley. Hello, welcome to this edition of World of Intelligence here at James. Sean, as always, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here in person as in well. In person for a change, yes. So obviously the events that have been going on in the last few days in Israel and the Gaza Strip are in everyone's minds. I thought it'd be an opportunity for us to have a conversation about how do we look at a situation like this, a current inter- current intelligence situation in a hotspot like this, and how do we use open source intelligence? And to help us with that, I am delighted to invite back Lewis. Hello, Lewis. Hi there. Good to be back. Thank you for having me. And Elliot. Hello there. Hi, Harry. Good to be here. Thanks for coming. Lewis Smart is the manager of the Jane's Country Intelligence, Middle East and North Africa, MENA team. And given his background as a CBRN analyst, you may remember we previously discussed with him the nuclear program in Iran. Lewis also covers CBRN issues across the MENA region. Elliot Chapman is a research analyst in the Jane's MENA team, where he focuses on the close monitoring and analysis of Israeli security operations and Palestinian military activity. Before working at Jane's, Elliot worked in a political risk analysis role and has also served in the British Army Reserves. Welcome to you both. Okay, so let's get to what's going on. Elliot, give me a brief synopsis, please, of what you're seeing, what we've uh, uncovered already with what's happening around Israel and the Gaza Strip. So um, sort of events really started basically in the morning of the, the 7th of October uh, in, in Israel and Gaza. We saw effectively an incursion by um, Palestinian militants from Gaza into the area around Gaza Strip. Yeah. And sort of preceding this, we saw attempts to neutralize Israeli surveillance systems and kind of preparing operations going on whilst um, rocket barrages, which we normally see from from Gaza during kind of conflict occurring as well. That incursion went quite a long way um, and ended up, there there are different estimates and there's still a lot of um, information to be confirmed about exactly which uh, communities were uh, ultimately kind of overrun with with uh, militants. But um, in the region of sort of 20 to 25 uh, different communities in southern Israel. Right. The immediate, it would seem, uh, IDF posts around the Gaza Strip were, were overrun. Yeah. And what we saw was this kind of quite extensive incursion that then um, Israel struggled, it, it seems, to, to respond to immediately, whether or not that's a, a matter of preparedness or a matter of the efficacy of the militants is, is unclear. Um, but we did see fighting continuing for, for a long time after after it began uh, on the 7th of October. And in fact, um, we've only just had this morning um, the IDF confirming that um, they have secured the area around the Gaza Strip yeah. and all of the communities um, in the sort of adjacent communities to the Gaza Strip have been right. uh, evacuated. Right. So, Sean, um, let me come to you on this, because when we get to talk about in a moment the power potential of open source intelligence, one of the things I'm going to be looking to establish with help from the guys here who are open source intelligence analysts is how that can help the people in the building who are currently looking at this situation 
and being asked questions. So I want you to go back to your time sat behind that desk and something like this just happened. What's going on inside the intelligence agencies in NATO countries, neighboring countries, the UK? What's happening right now? What are the analysts struggling with right now? So to start off, I'd say within the context um, would be the fact that this came as a a massive surprise to everybody, I yep. believe, which is which is quite unusual because normally there are indicators and warnings and there's actually a matrix which will trigger people to start looking at it. But in this case, it didn't happen. And we might be able to discuss that later in terms of OPSEC, communication, security, security, all the rest of it. But if you're in an intelligence organisation, particularly as it always does happening at the weekend, <laughs> you are likely to have um, the watch team on there who are, are pretty much generalists who will be covering the whole world. And then when something like this happens, it always takes time to get up to speed in terms of what's happening. And of course, that's already augmented by the fact that almost instantly the media is starting to put things out. And as I always say, the first report is always wrong. So what they were trying to would be trying to do is is triage and actually get a baseline understanding of what's happening. Now, not in every case that is going to be possible. And with everything that's happening in the world right now, I suspect there'll be slim resources looking at this. Yeah. So in terms of open source intelligence, you know, quite often, surprisingly often, um, that will be the first resort of what is happening. Say what you see. Um, now, as I said before, it is not always right. And so the analysts, what they're trying to do is do all the things that we do in the open source world in terms of you know, assuring the information, trying to get multiple sources to make sure that A, there's no circular reporting and we're getting as close to the truth um, at the start as possible. Right. And that's where open source intelligence right. comes in. So let's just go there then. Let's talk about that situation where the analysts sat at their desk and they are suddenly faced with a situation that's blown up in their face and they're being asked questions. Mm. You had that situation on Saturday morning. So how do we deal with that? Yeah, so um, as with everyone, you wake up on, you know, I think it was on Saturday, half seven, uh, expecting a nice weekend. And then immediately you've got news streaming in uh, for your phone from people at work, et cetera, saying, have you seen what's going on? Now, for me personally, and Elliot can maybe give you his account, but it was a case of, okay, just woken up, haven't had my cup of tea, but let's look at this situation. Um, and, I, and I'll go on to explain why there is context surrounding this. So and we'll get into that and how we have been looking at that for a while. But this event that was raised on that Saturday morning, my first instinct was to look at the news quickly, look at social media, look at what's being reported and to make an assessment of, okay, is this like previous events that we've seen with Gaza and Israel? Because we've seen many previous events. And it within the first five minutes of looking, even though some sources were conflicting, some were quite sporadic and maybe not as accurate as they need to be, it was quickly made by myself that uh, this is a situation of some significance um, and that Israel has been caught off guard quite significantly. So that's the assessment I made. And then it's a case of making a judgment that customers will probably need a current intelligence picture uh, over the day of, of what's transpiring. And it's my job and my team's job to, to try and get that together. So I messaged Elliot. Uh, he told me to go away first of all, but no, no, he was very keen. Um, and we decided I got a structure in place. I said, right, Elliot's our you know, Israel analyst and he'll explain some stuff in a minute. But He'll need, right, start looking, start triaging, start collecting sources, try and get yourself up to date, first of all, because if we're not up to date, we're behind. So while he did that, I tried to work on a template report for how we're going to cover this. What's, you know, what elements do we want to cover? At the moment, we don't need to worry about, I'm already seeing stuff about Iran's involvement. 
don't need to worry about that quite yet. We need to worry about bringing ourselves up to date on what actors are involved, what's the attack, where is the attack, and to what extent. Um, and then that report is something we were collecting, and then we transpired over the day. We were then in constant communication about, okay, where are we seeing militants? Where are we seeing the attacks? What's the IDS reaction, et cetera? Just before we go to Elliot, and I'm going to be curious, Elliot, to know what your reaction was, where you went for your background information, how you started to build your situational awareness. Just before I come to that, though, Sean. Yeah, just two points there. You know, very, very good. Matter of fact, this is what we did because this is what we do. But don't underestimate the fact that you could only do that because you have both of you have a deep understanding in the subject to start with. So you can what I would call triage the information and go, right, OK, this is what we're seeing here. Mm-hmm. And the other thing not to underestimate is the fact that you are at home and you're able to do that from home mm-hmm. instantly as opposed to getting on a uniform or not or going all the way to a higher headquarters and then going behind the what I call the uh, the green base door and starting to collect all the big stuff so there is a timeliness issue here that mm-hmm. that, that, that yeah. you're in a, in a position yeah. to support yeah thanks Sean it's a great point so earlier you've woken up at 7 30 in the morning by Lewis and he's just told you something's going on and you, you of course been looking at this situation this part of the world a great deal what what are your first actions what are you starting to do at this point well the, the first thing um is you know how how significant is this event? Is it different? And is it fair to say that this immediately structure is being very different? Because certainly what you described earlier about what you'd seen previously, and then mm-hmm. looking at this, this feels out of sorts, yeah, in terms of scale and complexity. Yeah, I think you know sort of the immediate headline of uh, a mass militants uh, sort of fighting with with Israel is not something that is is uncommon. I sure. think it's fair to say, sure. but. As soon as um, the, the reports of militants inside Israeli communities started coming out, and they were, they started coming out thick and fast from credible sources, yeah. um, that is that was sort of the point where you say, okay, this is very it's different, different. very different. Yeah, never yeah. seen this before. Right. So let me just um, take this to the next step. Then, so you're both now aware something different is happening. Mm. You're seeing it from open sources. One of the major concerns a lot of organizations have who are very used to have exquisite intelligence capabilities and top secret, therefore, in quotes, definitely true uh, intelligence, is they look at open source as being a poor cousin, less reliable. Mm. How do you start to sift out? Because you're getting bombarded from left, right, and center, social media talks about news reports, et cetera. Mm. How do you start to sift that out? I think it's so, and this is where it's. Ali and I were talking before this podcast, actually. There's a big role for the analyst's own knowledge and perception here. That's where I think, you know, in in terms of tradecraft, again, there's the biases, there's the subjectivities, all that involved. But I think in terms of what we're hearing, like if there had been reported that a 1,000-pound bomb had been dropped on Tel Aviv by Hamas, we know that's probably not credible. We know their capabilities from our foundational intelligence doesn't suit that sort of description. So for us, when we hear these first preliminary events, it's going... Okay, that that's possible, right? It's we considered it maybe everyone did highly unlikely to begin with, but it's possible. Mm-hmm. And you have to take many different sources from as many different accounts as you can, and then start to triage that probability and assessment and come to the fact that okay, we've seen enough to say that actually this is where these militants are um, in the town closer to Sterot. That was something we quickly came to understand was a site of significant Hamas militants. And that what we were seeing there from online imagery, video, cross-referencing that, that was we a highly likely place. That's what, where they had got to and, 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 and infringed. So for us at that time, catching up, um, that's probably our process to begin with. 
then there is no kind of you, you can't underestimate just, 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 yeah. just, just, how long is this now you woke up at half past seven yeah you're now getting to the stage where you're starting to triage and get a feel yeah. for what's happening and you're starting to believe what you're seeing mm -hmm. where are we in the day now i'd say nine to ten yeah a.m nine o'clock yeah so and a couple of hours you've gone yeah. from wake up to increasing situational awareness yes right and how much of that sorry to interrupt your training. no please please yeah. how much of that is because you have been looking at understanding this territory these these conflicts and how much of that is by what you can find in those open sources i would say it's a case of it's a bit of both yeah. and i think the i mean elliot was in israel and in the southern part of israel on the border with gaza three weeks before um, getting briefings um, as part of his trip there on security measures in place. Um, and again, that may we can talk about this and how that may actually can lead to an overestimation of, you know, security capabilities. But Elliot has been tracking um, the situation and the capabilities of actors, their dispositions, the relationship these actors have for quite a long time. And I think having that stock of foundational intelligence and knowledge of the current picture who's on the ground three weeks before yeah. helps to give us the ability to launch off from that to make current assessments and to update the information that's coming in. Right. Um, so for sure, Elliot was quickly in train telling me, actually, this is actually quite likely, not likely, yeah. et cetera, um, and using his, his knowledge to do that. I, I think your, your question is kind of actually quite hard to answer because I don't know how much I know, almost, <laughs> in, in, you know, in, in, some, in some respects, because it's very uh, sort of easy for me to assert that, you know, we have done a lot of research on, on Hamas and its capabilities, at, you know, at, at Jane's, and we, we have a lot of information, a lot of understanding. So when we see things like militants breaking into communities, we kind of have a an innate understanding of what that might mean mm -hmm. in the perhaps a rather morbid yeah. sense, yeah. Um, rather than, oh, there are, you know, there are people running around with guns, you know, we have a, a level of understanding of the, the capabilities of this group, mm -hmm. of the intent of this group that, that helps us contextualise sort of otherwise seemingly chaotic events in, in, an, in an efficient way. So, Sean, turning to you, we've just heard the guys describe process over two hours where they went from standing start to reasonable situational understanding, which we've agreed is probably built on prior knowledge, contextual understanding, deep expertise in the area and the, and the issues. Two hours later, they're feeling pretty good about what they're starting to see in terms of understanding it. How is that comparing with your own experience with a more generalist analyst sitting in a military intelligence organization faced off with a, an emerging situation? A couple of hours seem fair or is that, is that something to take a lot longer generally? I would say a couple of hours is not bad, but they were not likely to have that same baseline understanding. So it is very much a case of say what you see which could be bad reporting, it could be misinformation, disinformation, all of which are quite rife in this particular case. Um, but you've got to go with what you've got. So it will depend on what we call the battle rhythm, I, when the boss wants to come in and, and get a briefing on it as to how much detail it can go into. Um, now, what I don't want to say is that the intelligence community will not be able to cope because that's not true. Not sure. It just takes time for that that huge beast to get running. So, you know, in in tens of hours, maybe, the specialist teams will be in there and yeah. they'll be starting to look at it. But they need that triage, as we've just called it, that baseline to start going, OK, this is what we've got. That validates what we know as well. So similar to yourselves. And then they're going. But it, it's probably not as agile as you guys could be. Mm. And I think what's really helped us in the first few days is asking the right questions. So immediately um, or probably three to four hours now we start seeing after this, 
accusations of Iranian involvement already that's flying. The the press and the noise around how big an intelligence failure is this and the associated questions around that, Hezbollah and stuff. And again, those are factors that we are now looking at and assessing. But for us, the first question was the defence and security operation and situation on the ground from this attack. Right. I think it quickly ballooned because of the political nature of this area of the world into big kind of more nebulous questions that, you know, we still don't have evidence that will go into the Iranian involvement maybe later. Yeah, yeah. But immediately, a lot of social media was asking those questions. For us, it was being focused on what's going on on the ground yeah. and how can we best provide and get that up to date uh, and, and track that. And we can talk about people on the ground we had there and stuff we were also a part of during that day. You just talked to those about the questions that we started to ask ourselves being focused more on the military and, def and the defence nature of what was going on. Mm -hmm. um, to what extent are you now starting to stretch out of that? Mm -hmm. where, is, where is it going for you in terms of the open source intelligence uh, inquiry? Yeah, so for me, uh, as the kind of lead CBR analyst at James as well, I've taken the Iranian side of this question. So we published uh, an assessment yesterday in our daily report uh, addressing where our assessment is on Iranian involvement based on the reports we've seen uh, from the Wall Street Journal, for example. But it's very much used as we're bringing in our foundational intelligence here and our knowledge. So, you, you know, on, in the report, we say that there is a there's a reasonable pro you know, probability here that Iran may have had some involvement. But it's we caveat it with the fact that there's a pre-existing Iranian relationship with Hamas that involves financing UAV development, missile development. So we know that already. That's fairly well established that that's something we know. Now, okay, yes, there is a realistic possibility that that could have gone beyond that. But one, we have no evidence to confirm that. There was reporting that Hamas uh, leaders or press people had said that there was Iranian involvement. So that's a primary source. We have to take that in consideration. But as part of our judgment is that Hamas right now has a political uh, bias to try and bring in external involvement to ensure its survival or to complicate the picture. Yeah. So, yes, okay, we know Iran has a previous existing relationship of XYZ. We know this statement has been made in the last 24 hours. That's why we're saying there's a realistic probability. My own, I, I think that I don't think it's likely, but we have to take that into consideration until there is conclusive evidence. Right, right. Um, so that's how we've made our, our assessment on Iran recently. And Go. I, I'd also like to add as well that um, we sort of have a pre-existing framework for the way that we, we tend to look at right. things in our in our country profiles and the way we approach stuff. And that is sort of maybe on an instinctual level has ended up feeding into our into our daily reporting so far, because you know, to, to give an example, we're giving um, sort of analysis on, on economic factors that are happening, oil prices, Israeli economy, you know, this this kind of thing, yeah. as well as infrastructure issues as well. You know, you've noted that the, the Tamar um, offshore uh, gas um, operation has shut down, um, right. which is about 15 kilometres off offshore. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously that's, you know, there are infrastructure and security and energy uh, concerns as well that we are sort of instinctually going for information on these on these subjects. To try and build out maybe a broader picture of right. rather than just what's happening tactically on, mm -hmm. on the ground, which there is a degree sure. of, of so, so rather than being myopically focused on just the defense and military aspects, yes. you're looking now wider. Yeah, it's a multi-layered full yeah, that's what we'd like to do. And what we do at, at this company is a, a multi-layered full spectrum analysis across the national security sphere. Right. This is a to begin with, it was a security operation a security military operation. It is now in response likely going to be a, an Israeli security and military operation, but it's inherently political. It's inherently economic. It's the full spectrum of national security. Right. So now that we've 
got into the next week from the weekend and the we, we, we have higher confidence now from our sources that the southern Israel has been cleared of uh, Hamas militants, although there may still be a residual pockets um, that is moving into a, a new stage and our analysis therefore needs to encompass a broader right. perspective. Right, right. So I'll come back in a minute to you, Alec, in terms of how your access to foundational intelligence enables you to start moving through that spectrum of things and questions. But Sean, coming back to yourself, what yeah. are the questions being asked, likely to be asked right now in the building? So I was just going to reinforce initially what Lewis said in terms of um, where you focus depends on who is asking the question. Um, so initially, everybody will be interested in right what's actually happening. Where's the ground truth? But very quickly on that, after that, depending on who you are, you know, if you're in a military context, you know, what are the military options? What are the threats? Uh, and just having a look at what's happening on the ground. But at the strategic level, they're going to really want to know, OK, what, what is the significance of this from a regional perspective, from a global perspective and, and at that strategy level? So it, it very much depends on who you are. Um, if I was an operational headquarters, very quickly, I'd want to know, right, ground truth in terms of what's what's happening now, what did happen very briefly, but what's going to happen next yeah. is that predictive piece. Mm -hmm. That's at the operational level, as I would call it, the operational level. But also very quickly, if you're a strategic commander who is also going to be briefing the political level, right, what does it mean? What does this mean? What is the so what? What do we have to do as a nation or, or even as a as an alliance to either support a political pro process potentially and hopefully not in the case for a, a military operation? You know, so it really is that what if and that so what, mm -hmm. depending at the level that you're operating. So Luke, just going back to that question I, I prefixed a moment ago, when or have you yet started to reach into the foundational intelligence that is around you, available to you in the organization? Have you started to do that or has that already started to influence the analysis you're doing? Yeah, it's uh, it's been really useful having access to a lot of um information on on militant organizations probably first and foremost we right. you know we have a huge amount of information readily available on capabilities you know uh, things like personnel and strength you know political backgrounds right. motivational stuff um it's all you know very in-depth and very very easily referenceable in in our presumably uh, that's true then for the perimeter of this uh uh, this area around it there are nations with their own mm -hmm. military strengths and capabilities and if they're going to become involved if we were to suggest they're going to become involved in some sort of scenario in the future mm -hmm. our ability to reach into the various content that we've got available to us would also strengthen those uh, analyses of different scenarios yeah absolutely and i think it's those trends as well pre-existing trends i think elliot's been tracking a lot of the militant activity in the west bank yeah. not directly related to this but the West Bank is actually an area of concern that we're monitoring because if Israel is going to yeah. be conducting ground operations in Gaza, um, while the West Bank at the moment is relatively calm, it doesn't mean it's going to be the case going forward. And does that require Israel police presence, counterterrorism presence there? Maybe reservists are called up to guard that, especially if Hezbollah is starting to look like it may come in from the north. So, and Elliot's been tracking the, the West Bank militancy yeah. this year because that, funny enough, before the outbreak of the attack on 7th October was where the violence was this year. Right. It was in a trend of violence uh, in, in the rise of groups like Lion's Den um, and attacks on Israeli civilians. So that pre-existing trend analysis that we've done can help us to inform where things may go from here and what security yeah. concerns there might be. Yeah. And just to, sort of to add on to that, the um, the sort of the levels that we're looking at things in the immediate neighbourhood of, of Israel in particular in this, in this case, um, 
it is, it's a lot of sub-state actors and mm -hmm. activity that we're looking at. So yes, we have, you know, we can look at um, capabilities from kind of conventional militaries, but in, in the kind of immediate what next right now, the large concern is what about what comes next with Hezbollah? What mm -hmm. comes next with militant groups in the West Bank? Um, Iranian proxies in there. Syria. Yeah. In, Sy in Syria, on, yeah. on the border with with, uh, with Israel up there as well. Yeah, yeah. sure. So, so what we're seeing, exactly as you've just said, is a move from the, okay, what's happening now tactically on the ground and mm. operationally to this is a far wider strategic issue. Mm. And of course, you know, whilst whilst mentally I've been focusing on the, on the defence side of things, you know, the other IC elements will be working very hard at the strategic level to inform the very highest um, decision makers. But very quickly, a huge subset of the IC the intelligence community are going to be involved because, as you both said, so what, what's the Iranian angle? What does this really mean for the region uh, and even for the globe? What are the potential contagion points and where can we see hotspots emerging? Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, politically, we, it's, this is a very, very political thing. Um, what's happening? What are the major implications for, you know, policy? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So to try to summarize what we've said so far, so we've Got you out of bed at 7.30 in the morning. By 9 or 10 o'clock, you both are fairly up to speed. So there's a timeliness aspect about what you can contribute yep. to um, colleagues and customers. You've managed to reach into a foundational intelligence set that's around you and prior experience, trend analysis, event tracking, et cetera, which has all enabled that speed of response. From the customer's perspective in the military intelligence organizations and national security organizations around the world, they're now receiving insights that might have taken them a great deal longer to uh, gather. They are moving further forward. They're accelerating their own analysis. Um, and that foundational level of, of support is the first thing that we've done that's of great value in this partnership between the commercial and the uh, mm -hmm. government organization in that, in that sense, in this particular scenario. Where do we go next? What's the, what's the next? And now we've got everyone up to the same level of general understanding. For some, that will be a significant step. Mm -hmm. Others will be a smaller step. What next? What else does the open source environment do to help? That's that's a great question. I think that, that question will lead a lot to a question of resources. Um, so it's a question of how do you keep your current intelligence picture up to date um, via what means through daily reports, you know, half-day reports, what, what can you achieve? And then it's a case of updating your foundational content and your foundational intelligence picture, because they will there'll be a dialectic between the two. Right. As the current develops, the foundational will be impacted. So as we've seen already that Hamas, and, and, and also, so there's those two elements within James and within our, within our team, we're now looking at scenarios for what may happen from here. Right. And I think that, that kind of, that free, that element of those free enables you to start making scenario analysis and predictions because what's happened with the foundational capabilities of Hamas might mean and affect their capabilities in the current picture of defending an Israeli ground invasion. Right. So it's about that kind of interaction over the days between those three elements. And as analysts, making sure we've got each of those updated, we're happy, we're bringing in other views, we're getting our analysis kind of broadly together so that we can provide that picture from those three elements that we're discussing. So Sean, we've um, discussed a couple of times in the last few minutes about what the questions are going on inside the building, what the analysts might have faced when they first walked into work, if they were on watch or whether they were the uh, relief crew coming in. What you've just heard from Elliot and Lewis about where their thinking is going, where do you see the partnership? Because initially the partnership might have been, we can provide for you a foundational understanding of what's happening and why that's happening the way it is based on our background and context. But now they're moving towards scenarios, they're moving towards the so what, what's next. 
How much of that is likely to be still as useful as the first uh, support, which is around foundational? So I would say that the, the benefit actually of OSINT will, will then quickly change. I was going to use the word or the phrase law of diminishing returns, which would be unfair, but, but the huge, huge effort of the intelligence community now will be swinging that way. Uh, and in terms of what additional value you can add, I would suggest it's slightly more peripheral. So the fact that you're getting this from open sources means it's a different sources from they're using. So there's a little bit of, okay, we haven't quite got those atmospherics, so sentiment analysis. I know that will be going on within the community as well, but but just different sourcing, a different way of looking at it, but also intelligence sharing. So very quickly, there's going to be a coalition of of people that need to know. So using the open source intelligence to say, right, okay, that 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 actually corresponds with what we're thinking. We can just share that as open source intelligence so we don't have to give out the good stuff. But also keeping the the mainstream media honest. So they're not going to be able to go to the community in terms of right what's happening here. But if your assessments are proved proved correct, which they certainly are right now, then people are going to go, right, that is assured. Therefore, we can use those on, you know, the talking heads, which you you may well have done already to say so that the the big media are, are, you know, you're keeping them honest and you're keeping them ground truth. So so that's I think is is, is the real value once you've done that initial get you in triage stage. So when you look at scenarios, then for the next stage of the analysis that you're doing, Maintaining foundational intelligence, maintaining an understanding of what's happening in current, but now looking forward, how do you go about doing that? What's your uh, what's your methodology for? So, so at the moment, it's as simple as um, getting analysts together. We, Elliot and I, um, especially Elliot, has a certain level of expertise and fields of expertise, but it's important to note that we're not military equipment analysts, or you know, we don't know exactly. We don't have a broad idea, I hope, but not an in-depth analysis of how a Merkava tank might do in the Gaza Strip itself. What are the defences of that against a UAV drone, as we've seen now in Azerbaijan and um, Armenia, and now in Ukraine, the asymmetrical advantages there. So it is as simple as getting analysts to begin with to talk to each other, because it's, as every bureaucracy has had since time immemorial, the bureaucratic stovepipes and balkanisation of analysis can, everyone can get out their quota of, you know, what I need to get done, but it's bringing that holistic picture together. And I think that's where our country intelligence and defence insight has is giving us at least a, a, that ability to talk about scenarios, right. you know, and I think that's, for us, that's so far been the way, and we are working on a report of, um, you know, more formalising that report into scenarios uh, as we speak right now. Right. Um, but yeah, that's how we start. Do, your, do your, tri- your sources change at all as you're moving from this sort of foundational situational awareness, getting that grip on what's happening to now thinking about going into the future and get, get, getting some foresight? Do your sources, your analytical skills change at all? Is there anything different that's happening now in terms of how you're approaching it? Or are you essentially doing the same thing, but just now looking forward rather than around you? Yeah, I think I think the, the the pattern right now is much much the same in, in many ways, except for what what Lewis has noted is that now that the research and analysis is is more focused on integrating it with other expertise right. in the business and mm-hmm. and you know speaking to people about you know urban warfare and like Lewis mentions you know armored vehicles or equipment or whatever it is um, right. and and taking that that same mm. same process and then linking it into all of these other other aspects and to, to create a sort of yeah more more rich picture. Well, isn't that really 
another example of where foundation and intelligence becomes important because the analysts that we've talked about inside the building behind the, you call it the green, the green base, green base door, sure, they may not have access to all the equipment intelligence capability, um, all bats, et cetera, et cetera. They may not have those readily available. Isn't that the next level of uh, support from an open source environment? Yeah, that's that foundational level that you know everybody needs and everyone accepts is always going to be there. Um, but but no one really thinks about where it's sourced from. Yeah, and it will become really really valuable to a guy who's desperately trying to work out what the Israelis might be able to do, but yeah. don't actually know what their equipment is or how it can operate. How Particularly far. when you've got you know modified versions of all sorts of equipment as you do out there, as you guys know. Um, so it's not quite your standard. Yeah, whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. Well, look, I think what we should do with this conversation is we should come back in a week or so's time mm -hmm. and pick up the journey that you've started. You've been doing it for three or four days now. Uh, in a week's time, you'll have had even less sleep than you've had already. Um, and we need to track how open source continues to be uh, relevant and useful. The potential for open source, we've talked about Sean and I many, many times, but this is a real world situation where we're seeing the work that you're doing going straight out to customers, helping them build that foundational understanding as we talked about a great deal in this mm -hmm. last few minutes. Um, but equally, we've got a whole series of things that are now about to happen that we need to start mapping and understanding so we can actually continue with that support. Mm -hmm. So from where I'm sitting, um, sorry to break the news, gents, but this isn't the last time we have this conversation. <laughs> Let's pick this up again in a week or so's time and see where this journey's gone from an open source perspective. Great. But as ever with these um, podcast episodes, let's pick up the one takeaway that you've taken from your experience in the last four or five days, running up to and then through the event. What's the one takeaway that you would like the audience to remember about your experience, the power of open source? Or yeah, this is a really good, it's a really good question. Um, I think initial shock does not mean you don't know anything. And it, it's not, I think there is a, again, when once you've got over and you've calmed down and assessed, the analysis and assessment and the usual methods do work and they can work. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's getting over that initial shock. And, oh, and I was waiting for you to say that you wouldn't answer the telephone ever again at 7.30. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, also that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think for me, the, the and this is just going to sound a bit, bit corny, but the, the reality is, is that this is not a product of Lewis and I by any measure. You know, we weren't the only ones on mm -hmm. uh, online, on the phone, on, at, on Saturday morning. Um, and that no analyst has an understanding of, of everything. You know, sure. that no one understands everything. And that what you can do is you can do your best and you can collaborate. You can work with other people to synthesize things. And kind of having that shock, having that that sense of um, maybe, yeah, not not being 100% certain that you know what's going on is, is entirely normal. Sure. But you follow the process. You keep doing what you're doing. And you can produce, obviously, as as it sounds like from from feedback that we're getting, that you can produce something that's very helpful for people. Absolutely. Thank you, Sean. I would reprise a theme that I've used many times before when you've asked me this question, and that is the absolute need for partnership between open source intelligence and the community from a classifier. And this is a great case where you can actually triage and then hand it over. But I'd go even deeper than that now, saying that, you know, are we approaching the perfect storm? There are so many bad things happening in the world right now, which we can't go and talk about. I mean, you, you name it, it's happening. And there's other things about to happen, which we talked about earlier, which maybe for another podcast, mm. that you can't ignore the open source intelligence. Yeah. And unless you start federating and partnering, 
we're not going to be able to cover the whole world and the bad things that are happening in great enough detail. So there's an absolutely imperative. Yeah, I completely agree. For me, I think just to crystallize that point, even uh, one, one degree sharper, for me, the fact that you guys can, within two hours, put together a very cogent and sufficiently complete foundational intelligent packet that you can put out to customers who will need that because they're desperately trying to get their head around what's going on, for me, is the first timely and complete response from the open source uh, community but developing that and seeing where that goes that's a bit i'm really really interested to find out where that goes over the next few weeks with this mm. developing situation because as sean's just said to not have a partnership between the commercial and other publicly available sources and those that are behind the green bay's wall is almost negligent because there's way way too much available out here that could be of use and if we're not using it if we're not having that partnership then we're missing an opportunity mm. just yeah i mean everyone in this room particularly you to know just as well as anyone that intelligence isn't just a sort of linear produce something and, and disseminate it it's a cycle that mm. involves a kind of feedback loop from absolutely. from consumers and absolutely that's part of the process so as i said a few minutes ago stand by for further we'll come back to this topic again but uh elliot lewis thank you so much for joining us today and thank you in advance for joining us again for the next episode of this as the situation in israel develops thank you brilliant thank you Thanks for joining us this week on the world of intelligence. Make sure to visit our website, chains.com slash podcast, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, so you'll never miss an episode. 